When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And we are live on a Thursday morning. Welcome to the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Your host, Kevin Parker, here with the co-host, Scott Spartan Martin, 18 on Twitter. For those of you who haven't followed him already, uh, we're, you know, a few games out. We had the pod on Monday that I, you know, got into my uh, emotions a little bit more than I planned on. It was a frustrating opening, but uh, Scott, you weren't on me uh, with me on Monday. So let's uh, let's start there. I, I know I, I gave kind of my thoughts. I, I pretty much stand by everything I said. Um, I, I have some comments about the Mel Tucker press conference, uh, you know, that will kind of do a re recap of this game a little bit. But um, since you weren't able to air your grievances on the pod, I want to start there. What, what were your thoughts about the Rutgers game and, and where do we go from there? Yeah, I mean, it was a disaster. Right. I, I think this was every Spartan fan's worst fear that we would open the season with a loss to Rutgers. We would look bad. Um, I think what's worse is that it was clear to me we had the team to win this game. And by and large, we made the plays to win this game, save maybe a dozen. Um, and, and those were a critical dozen. So, I mean, look, everybody in the offseason was saying Mel Tucker gets the mulligan this year. Now, I guess it's time to put our money where our mouth is. This hurts. It sucks. If anything, it's just bad for the brand. I don't think it's a death sentence to the program or anything, but um, it's uh, whether or not it's a step back, it just puts us, you know, exactly. We know where we are now and it's not a great place. Um, I I wrote a whole write up on this. If you want my full thoughts on the game, head over to standingroomspartans.com. Check out the breakdown there, but just, I mean, some cliff notes here, you know, ball security, that horse has been beaten all week. Uh, we kind of know where that stands. It was a disaster. The skill players just straight up need to hold on to the ball. It's as simple as that. Uh, as far as the Rocky fumbles, that's a little bit more nuanced because they're all strip sacks coming from his blind side. So he certainly needs pocket presence and he needs to understand where the defense is. But at the same time, you know, the line and the running backs need to give him more time than he had. I mean, Connor Hayward on that uh, first fumble by Rocky just, he he was in position to make the block and he, I don't even know how he missed, honestly. I mean, he was standing totally flat footed and the guy just ran right by him and he just lunged and it was, it was horrible. So, I mean, is it Rocky's fault? A little bit. Yes. A little bit. No, uh, but it needs to improve. The interceptions didn't bother me as much. The first one was a miscommunication between Naylor 
and Rocky. Obviously, we don't know who made the wrong read there. It was a carbon copy of two or three plays earlier. Um, literally the exact same play, but the Rutgers defender was in a better position to make the pick. So um, those ones I think will get cleaned up. The second interception was a garbage time heave while he was getting hit in the pocket. I mean, I'm not going to hold you know hold that against any quarterback. The game was over. Uh, just trying to make some something happen. But the fumble's got to be fixed. I mean, there's no reason to put the ball on the ground six times. We lost it five times. Naylor, if he wants to be on punt returns, needs to catch the ball. D'Antonio is rolling over in his proverbial grave, even though he was Bring <laughs> circling Brandon the stadium Sowards by the end of that back. game. Tell you what, fair catches and uh, Brandon Sowards. That's all you need. Um, but yeah, ball security. I mean, we don't have to go. We don't have to beat that horse anymore. Um, the run game needs to improve. I think it will. We have a new scheme, new blocking style. We're using different um, techniques than we did last year, uh, but we got to see something better. I mean, that was supposed to be an experienced and healthy line, and we have plenty of running backs to go through to try to find somebody hot. Simmons showed a few flashes, but at the end of the day, our running backs had two yards per carry, so that's just not going to get it done in the Big Ten, and that's against Rutgers, which you know, it's hard to say exactly what their front seven is right now after one game, but traditionally, I think we all know where Rutgers stands. So those are the negatives. I did pick out a couple positives. It wasn't as easy as I'd hoped, but uh, one Digging thing deep. that a lot of people made, a, one thing a lot of people made a big deal out of is uh, Julian Barnett uh, or the lack of Julian Barnett. So he made a couple good plays on, on special teams, but you know, he didn't start and he didn't really crack the rotation, which I think is even scarier given the fact that to some it's scarier given the fact that we featured three corners on almost every play on defense that entire game in this new 4-2-5 defense under Scotty Hazelton. So is Julian Barnett really not one of our top three corners? My take on that is that he took almost all of his reps last year at wide receiver. He had a few weeks early in the season where I'm sure he was taking corner reps, but then they moved him to receiver. He wasn't developing as a receiver last year. We all know how this offseason went. He did not have a spring. He did not have a camp while well, he had an abbreviated camp. He's getting really minimal reps so far to develop as a Big Ten corner. He's still young. He's essentially a redshirt freshman, even though he played last year at his position. And it's a notoriously challenging position to make the transition from high school to college and then college to pro. Hopefully he'll be able to do that someday. Um, but it doesn't scare me as much. And Reason being, this cornerback group played really well. I mean, when you look at how the receivers performed for Rutgers, they had 11 catches on 19 targets. They had 125 yards and one touchdown. And sure, there were misses. I mean, you know, we had the one pass interference on the left side of the end zone in the first quarter. Obviously, we gave up that one touchdown and got beat to the, the back pylon on the right side uh, in the third or fourth quarter. And obviously, they're going to give up some catches. But by and large, this cornerback group did really really well and Chris Jackson really surprised me I mean there's not a guy in this group where you could say that corner was a liability on the field and a lot of guys on our team were liabilities last week but I don't think any of the corners had a particularly bad game so I think it's a luxury to have that kind of depth and I think if you know Harlan Barnett and if coach Tucker don't think uh, Julian Barnett is, is quite there yet I think if anything it's a, it's a reason for optimism that we still have enough depth that that position to field three corners that aren't making glaring mistakes so I'm looking forward to that I think Barnett by the end of the year he'll be starting he'll certainly be in the rotation soon I just think they're playing it safe because they've got the guys to do it um 
wide receivers, Jalen Reed was a massive positive and a massive negative in this game. I think it's pretty clear to see that Rocky and him have a connection. Rocky made a few throws to him at all three levels. Um, he made plenty of short throws. They really liked those two, three yard out routes with Reed, get the ball in his hands, headed towards the, the sideline on the field side and let him make some plays. Obviously he got a touchdown on that fourth and one. Uh, they made, he made, you know, the first pass of the game aside from the fumble with a phenomenal throw over the top of the linebackers. He found that seam between the linebackers and the secondary. Uh, and then they had uh, that touchdown at the back pylon later in the game. So I think that's going to continue to flourish. If Reed can hold on to the ball, I think that is going to be an absolute superstar combination this year. Um, Trey Mosley was a little bit absent, but we only had one red zone trip. Our touchdowns came from outside the red zone other than uh, one. So, I mean, I think Mosley, he's more of a possession guy, more of a red zone guy like that. And I think, you know, between the twenties, they're going to be using Reed and Naylor quite a bit more. Uh, and then the only bright spot that I really have on the defensive line was Drew Beasley. I'm really excited to see how the defensive line shakes out this year and who's going to fill that other defensive end position opposite Jacob Panishuk. Um None of the guys, I mean, you saw rotation between Beasley, Fletcher, and uh, Camper. None of them had a dominant performance, but Beasley did lead all of our defensive ends and tackles with five. He had that strip sack fumble at a critical point in the game late in the third quarter. We were down by eight. Uh, I think it was right after the nail or muffed punt. And Beasley came in and he made a play for us. He got the ball back when, you know, we were kind of reeling. We were losing momentum. It was a bad situation. He got the ball for our offense. Of course, our offense went four and out, but <laughs> that's not his fault. And Beasley uh, so was... I think he'll earn... Yeah, Beasley was on uh, like a pro football focused team of the week, uh, you know, getting honored by those guys who, you know, they they really dig into the film and see what these guys are doing on every play. And look, I, I didn't really see that type of performance from Drew Beasley. I thought he played OK, but, you know, for somebody non-biased, for somebody from the outside who, you know, clearly digs into the film on these guys to to give them that kind of praise, well, you know, Hey, maybe, maybe I missed something there. Maybe we all missed something there. And, you know, he, he definitely was at least one lone bright spot on, on the field on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, I mean, we need to fill that spot. We need production from obviously both ends on our defense. We had a full rotation going this past game and pretty even reps. I, I expect Beasley to get, you know, the lion's share of those reps until he pr proves that he shouldn't uh, at this point after a performance like that. So, It'd be great to nail down that position early in the season and bring some, some stability to our front. I guess we have a front six, not really a front seven. Um, and we'll see where he can go. Hopefully he can follow that up with a good performance this week against uh, an inexperienced Michigan line, which obviously we'll get to. Um, and then my last, I, I won't belabor this point too much, but my thoughts on Rocky, <laughs> I got kind of grilled uh, for this when we were talking with the guys last night, but I, I don't think he had a bad game. If anything, I think he had a good game that barring a few mistakes would have been a pretty great debut. I mean, he threw for over 300 yards. He had over 70% completion percentage, over 10 yards per completion. Uh, like I said, he's got a great connection with Reed. He made throws to all three levels. He certainly missed some throws. There was communication issues with Naylor, but that's to be expected for a new quarterback early in the season. Against, I hate saying this, a better opponent than you would usually see in week one. I know it's Rutgers, but it's, it's, he didn't get the opportunity to play a Youngstown State or a Bowling Green or somebody where you can really warm up. So, um, And we'll see what Rutgers actually ends up being this year. 
Uh, Not good. But, you know, he showed some things that, to me, he looked like an efficient quarterback, a guy who can be a field general. He was moving through his reads well. He had no time in the pocket. Obviously, guys were grabbing the ball out of his hands with regularity in this game, um, which he needs to be aware of. But at the same time, he needs more protection. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I coming into that game, I did not think he was the guy. I was frustrated that, you know, we weren't get, getting more attention on, on the other two. Um, I still can't say he's better or worse than Day or Thorne because, you know, nobody was in camp and we haven't seen them in a game, which is frustrating. But there's something to be said about uh, stability at that position as well. So, listen, I think if, if he had the same game with the same line, um, you know, the same finishing stat line, and we win and he's on a better team, like one of the average to above average D'Antonio teams we've seen, I think we're writing this off to growing pains and saying there's things to look forward to with him. So personally, I think he, he actually improved my opinion of him in that performance. And I know that's probably not popular and not a very common theme among MSU fans, but I would just say, let's see where he can go. If he can, if he can eliminate some of these huge mistakes, by and large, play in and play out. He was making the right reads and making safe, efficient plays. So we'll see where it leads. Obviously, much stauncher competition this week. And, uh, you know, he's got things to clean up. But I was uh, I was impressed. And I didn't think when that game ended, I didn't think I would be saying that now. Yeah, and like you said, we, we've we talked about that all week in our group chats and in, uh, you know, all around Twitter and stuff. Everybody kind of knows my thoughts on it. I mean, when you put it in the context of, of other starting quarterbacks at MSU and their debuts, well, it was, it was okay. It was, it was pretty solid. I mean, Brian Lewerke in his first start was not very good. Connor cook in his first start wasn't very good. So, I mean, you, you got to give them time, but you know, there's, there's clearly mistakes that need to be remedied. Uh, but I guess you could say that about pretty much every position on the field last week, but um yeah, we, you know, we talked about Rutgers. I, you know, just to kind of wrap that up, I want to kind of bring that to Mel Tucker's press conference this week where he made a few comments that I thought were interesting regarding that game and, and some things that we just touched on there with, with Julian Barnett specifically. Now, you know, that's somebody, if you go on Twitter, people were very frustrated that he wasn't able to get on the field. I'm with you, Scott. I, I think that, you know, hey, the corners played pretty well. Uh, they, they didn't really give up any big plays. Uh, they kept the guys in front of them. The, the frustrating play was that pass interference. We had the goal line stand. I, I mean, we gave up the ball. They had a first and first and goal from the one yard line. We had the goal line stand. Uh, they threw a pass to that left side of the end zone. He wasn't catching that ball. I don't think it was as no. egregious as you know, for the referee to, to call off the flag for being an uncatchable throw. However, they classify that, but I, the, he wasn't catching that ball. So you were right there on a, on an awesome goal line stand. If you're giving up first and goal from the one yard line, we had it, you get the pass interference and eventually they're going to punch it in. But um, all in all, you know, the corners played pretty well. Barnett uh, Mel Tucker said that he did well on special teams and uh, the the direct quote was, they're working hard to develop him. Um, and I thought that was pretty telling to see kind of where he's at. Uh, you know, Scott, you mentioned like the corner's a tough position, man. It's it's not easy to translate your your high school to the college and, and so on. So it's rare to get a, a Derek Stingley at LSU that comes in right away and, and 
plays at a, you know, all American level. I mean, that just doesn't happen. And so, yeah, he's athletic. Yeah. He's a good player, but playing high school cornerback is entirely different from playing division one, big 10 cornerback. You're playing against different type of athletes. You're playing in a schemes that are actually, you know, diverse and, and more difficult to comprehend. And, uh, you know, look, I guess none of us are on this practice field. We don't really know what's going on behind the scenes there, but the, the, the quote that they're working hard to develop him, I thought was pretty telling on where they're at there. Um, a couple other notes with the quarterbacks, uh, Mel Tucker did say that the other three QBs, they are capable and that he would be comfortable putting him in there, but, you know, quote, didn't need to switch them up. So, um, I thought that was interesting. You have uh, a couple other notes here that they lost the battle in the trenches and that there was no movement from the offensive line. Duh. I think we all saw that. He mentioned Jordan Simmons specifically at the running back spot that, you know, it seemed like whenever he was in there, he was making plays. And I think that, you know, we can all echo that as fans. He did put the ball in the ground once. That's a freshman mistake that can't happen, of course. But, uh, you know, I think we can all say he he brought a little bit of a spark. And every time he, he came in, you, you got a little eight, 10 yard chunk play. And it, it was definitely easy on the eyes when when he was in the game. Uh, I was glad Mel Tucker talked about that. And then, you know, kind of looking forward to this week. And we'll use this to kind of transition us to what we're really talking about today. And that's Michigan. Uh, it seems like Mel Tucker's taking this rivalry seriously. He's he's taking the torch from Mark D'Antonio. And he's not treating this like every other game. He's, he's treating this game as a special, special game and, and what he should be doing. And, uh, you know, he's, he's talking about the team up the road. He's, he's not bringing up their name. He, he talked about to the, to the reporters that he's been waiting for this call all week. And, and he's, it seems like he's really embracing this rivalry. He's embracing everything about it. Uh, Rocky Lombardi and Antoine Simmons mentioned that they've been talking to the younger players and trying to help them understand this rivalry and everything it means to, you know, everybody around the program, the fans, the former players, the coaches. I mean, you have a couple of coaches on this staff who have not only coached in this game, but played in it as well. Uh, and you know, this game means so much to, to Michigan state fans and, I think Mel Tucker understands that uh, not only from his short time at Michigan state back in the nineties under Nick Saban, but you know, I, I, I would imagine that he's had plenty of conversations with Mark D'Antonio, somebody who I think embraced this rivalry more than anybody we've seen in, in Michigan state's football history. I Mel or Mark D'Antonio really, really took this rivalry to another level. So I think uh, it's, it's really good to see Mel embracing that. And uh, that takes us to Michigan week. And, and here we are. I, I think that we're not in a great spot emotionally for this week. Usually it's a lot more excitement. I think this, this time around, it's a lot more just kind of, I, I don't even want to say nervous. Like I, what's, what's the best way to kind of encapsulate like people's feelings about this game. Cause I think the general consensus is that it might be ugly. Yeah, you know the the feeling I would equate it to is like uh you know back in high school you get a test result back and it's bad <laughs> and now you have to tell your parents and you know how they're going to react. We That's a good we one. We more than likely know how this game is going to go within a range. Um it's going to be bad and or worse than we would hope anyway. 
uh, whatever adjective you want to use, but we know it's just kind of like a, like a waiting for it to happen at this point. Like, Oh, this is going to suck. Um, we're not going to be able to say anything to defend ourselves. You know, we're going to have to kind of tip the cap and say, we're going to need a year or more. Or just keep talking um, shit about them not being able to beat Ohio state. We, let's just lean on that. Yep. I mean, we can always ride the coattails of their higher lack of success, um, <laughs> at least this year. So, no, I mean, it's, 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 it's not a good feeling. Um, I mean, I'm still looking forward to it. It's always obviously fun to get the blood flowing a little bit. Um, we just, I think everybody's just going in with, with different expectations than usual. I think, you know, you, you look at the 24 and a half point line, one of the biggest lines we've ever faced as underdogs or probably on either side um, in this rivalry. And uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's a hard one to swallow. I think it's, unfortunately, it's more of a conversation around how many, how many scores are we going to be within, you know? Yeah. Cr- I think Chris like, Soleri we, detailed it pretty well. He, he, uh, he went into the guys on Vegas insiders and he pulled a couple numbers. So the biggest point spreads in this rivalry, since we have like documented, you know, I, I don't think that they were gambling on Michigan versus Michigan state in 1905. Uh, those probably would have been some pretty ugly lines, but uh, the, the three biggest lines, the only times that they were above 20 points in recent memory, you had 1991, Michigan was favored by 26 and a half. They ended up winning that game 45 to 28. That was a 17 point win. So MSU covered 1992, the following year, Michigan favored by 28. They ended up winning 35 to 10. So 25 points again, Michigan state covers. And in 2016, one in recent memory that we remember, we were just so, so bad that year. Uh, but we kept that game within nine points. The line was 24 and a half. We lost 32 to 23. So the history says that in three times that there's been this huge favorite uh, as far as the Vegas side goes, uh, you know, the the underdog tends to cover. And look, it's a rivalry game. I, I would imagine that that would be the case. I mean, again, you go back uh, 1902, not sure what the line was for that game. Michigan ended up winning 119 to nothing. So I'm sure they covered in that one uh, if, if there was a line. But uh, yeah, th- I mean, there's been some, certainly there's been some ugly results in this matchup um, on both sides, really. Uh, most of them coming from Michigan, but uh, you, you have a couple here just rolling through. I mean, 1947, 55 to nothing. Uh, that, that was probably an ugly one for Michigan State. You had, um, you know, a couple that are a little bit more recent memory. You had a, a 34 nothing shutout in 67 on the side of the Spartans. Um, you, you had a couple of those Mark D'Antonio games where we really put them on them, 29 to 6 in 2013. Uh, but last year was one of the worst in, in recent memory. Last year, Michigan got us 44 to 10. It was an ugly game from the from the beginning. We were up seven nothing in the first quarter, the end of the first quarter, uh, and then it just went all downhill from there. It was the biggest win in this rivalry since two thousand two, and uh, you know it's it's kind of we, we had this great run with Mark D'Antonio, seven out of eight years, a lot of them in in just truly dominating fashion. You know, most of them by a couple scores. Uh, I mean, there was only really two close games. There was one in overtime. And then, of course, there was two, 2015 trouble with the snap. But every other game was by multiple scores. 
Um, and, and that's kind of the way this rivalry has gone in, in recent history. I mean, from the, the very beginning, you had 1898 to 1933. Michigan had a 23-2-3 and three run with a couple ties in there. Um, and then you had, let's see, Michigan State had a run in the 50s and 60s where we were 14-4. and four. Uh, but then 1970 to 2007, you had Bo Schembecker and Lloyd Carr uh, really putting it on us 30 and 30 and eight, excuse me for on the side of Michigan. And then of course you had the Mark D'Antonio run of success. And, and so there hasn't really been very many periods of time where it's been a back and forth in this rivalry. It, it kind of seems to go where one side takes all the momentum and, and rolls with it for, for a, you know, a decade or, or quite a long time. And, Look, Michigan's grabbed three out of four, and we're hoping to, you know, stop that trend. Uh, but it, the rivalry history says that, you know, maybe maybe that's going to continue for a couple years. I'm not really sure. But uh, with this Michigan team, Scott, we watched the game on Saturday night against Minnesota. Um, I have some things I definitely want to mention with them, but I, I guess coming out of that game, what are your like first thoughts that come to mind about this version of the Michigan Wolverines that we're going to see on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, going into this season, I think a lot of the conversation around the Michigan team was this is going to be a reloading year, not necessarily a rebuild, but they're, they got to find a lot of new pieces. Obviously their offensive line was pretty much ripped to shreds last off season, uh, totally retooling there. They got the new quarterback in um, and, and obviously corners and they lost Nico Collins and Ambry Thomas. I mean, they had a lot of holes to fill. They certainly have, you know, plenty of talent behind them, but um, I think the expectation was that they were going to come out of the gate a little bit slow, trying to find their feet. And that's uh, that did not happen. They looked like a dominant, I mean, they were playing October football, like regular no COVID year, October football uh, last Saturday. And, you know, if, if Michigan state underperformed against a bad team, I think Michigan overperformed against a good team. And, you know, time will tell what Michigan or what Minnesota actually is. They certainly didn't look like the 11 and two team they were last year, but I mean, they're still a good team. They were playing at home. Uh, they still got plenty of their pieces back from last year. So that was, uh, it was startling. And, and Joe Milton, I mean, it's one game, but he certainly looks like he's got the tools. He was making some serious throws. There was one, I know we talked about a little bit later, I think it was in the second half of, of that game where he was rolling out to his left, obviously as a right-handed quarterback. That's one of the most challenging situations to throw the ball in. And he turned, he opened his chest and he opened his hips and he heaved it like 40 yards down the field. I mean, he ended up missing the receiver by a couple yards, but <laughs> I mean, if that's I, I'm going to put that one on the receiver. It was, it, it touched fingers. Uh, I'll say that. I mean, it, it was on yeah. target for the most part. And yeah, you see a couple of those throws. It made me a little bit nervous that maybe the hype yeah. for this guy yeah. was actually real this time that, that. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, you, you look at this, this game on the other side of the ball and you see a, a Minnesota offense that was pretty high power last year. Um, obviously, they have Rashad Bateman. They were going to be relying on quite a bit with Tanner Morgan throwing the ball. And they did make a couple plays when he managed to get the ball up in one-on-one coverage. Uh, the Michigan cornerback struggled, but that didn't happen very often because Michigan's defensive line in front seven and their Don Brown blitzing worked to perfection in this game. I mean, Tanner Morgan rarely had time. He was going down with regularity and granted they had two backups in on the right side of their offensive line, 
uh, Minnesota that is, and and they struggled all night. Cody Pay looked dominant. Um, the rest of that line, I think every position they were getting plays from. So if this offensive line of Michigan State is going to, uh, you know, provide any value in this game, they've got a lot, a lot to work on this week because Michigan's defensive line looked as good as anyone's in the Big Ten in week one. And uh, it's, yeah, I mean, they have holes. Like I said, if you can exploit their corners, I think if we can get the ball out to Naylor and Reed and really put pressure on the athleticism of their corners and the experience there, I think there's potential. But we got to give Rocky the time to see the field and make the throws. And um, and Don Brown's going to bring more pressure than Rutgers certainly could. So it's uh, it's a certainly a challenging feat. And, and I was really surprised by how Michigan looked. Again, it's one game. It's a rival. We got a rivalry game, so that's I would say would lean in our favor just because rivalry games are typically closer than the spread. Um, but it's uh, they're an intimidating team this year, and I was really surprised by what I saw. Yeah, it's it's a team that they, they lost a lot from last year. Last year they were nine and four. Their four losses though were Alabama, Ohio State. Penn State, Wisconsin. This is a team under Jim Harbaugh that traditionally they're not going to lose the games that they should win. Uh, they're they're going to beat the teams that they're favored by, and they're going to beat them pretty handily most times. It's those, again, Wisconsin, Penn State, Ohio State, uh, whatever they play in a bowl game, and, and Alabama, Florida, Florida State, that's where he struggled. But it's hard to look at last year's success to look at this year because they lost so much. They lost their quarterback, Shea Patterson. They lost four out of their five offensive linemen. Four of them are all on NFL rosters. Um, one due to graduation and one due to a COVID uh, opt-out. They lost both of their corners, Levert Hill and Ambry Thomas. Josh Uche is gone. Half of their receivers are gone. DPJ, Tariq Black, Nico Collins. Uh, but you're in year two of Josh Gaddis's system on the as the offensive coordinator. It seems like they're starting to get some of those guys that that he's looking for. Um, it seems like a, an offense that wants to get some of these guys out in space and making plays in the open field. And it worries me that they might have found a couple of those guys. But I, I want to start with Joe Milton because I, I watched on YouTube. You can actually go if you're interested, if you want to scare yourself a little bit more. Um, there is somebody put together a film of, of every single Joe Milton drop back from the Minnesota game. And so I, I watched that a couple times and man, the ball pops out of his hand. The, the velocity is just effortless. Uh, that part is, is very clear. The, the howitzer of an arm, however you want to describe it is, is obvious. He's not afraid to push the ball down the field. He's pretty mobile. You know, he, he's not, I, I kind of, I just wrote down, he's like a, six and a half or a seven out of 10. If I were like grading the mobility, I mean, he can definitely outrun most of the defensive linemen. Uh, he, he's big and strong, so he can run over a corner if he needs to get a first down, but you know, he's, he's not Cam Newton. He's not Johnny Mansell out there running around, but he, he can certainly get you a first down when he needs to. They ran a couple quarterback design powers. I'm sure we're going to see that again this week. Um, he, he did have, Look, the accuracy, he's going to miss some throws, and that's just kind of the way it goes. He's hes not uh, going to put it right on the spot every time. But when you have that kind of arm and, and you're not afraid to push the ball down the field, the whole field is open to him, and that's one thing that worries me a little bit. You have to cover the entire field as a defense. He, he can hit the sidelines. He can hit the deep balls. 
and that part worries me a little bit. His accuracy definitely has improved, but again, he'll miss a couple throws, certainly. Um, there were a couple drops. There was an easy touchdown drop that, that he had in the third quarter. I think it was his tight end was running down the seam and just, he put it right in the bread basket. There was no defenders around him. It was walk in touchdown and he dropped it. So the numbers that you did see, which were pretty good, uh, could have even been a little bit better, but, um, you move to the running backs. It looks like it's going to be a bit of a committee this year. Uh, Charbonnet Haskins Evans and their freshman quorum who looked really fast. <laughs> That's one guy that I circled. Yeah. He had a, yeah. from like the first play from scrimmage, they gave him the ball and he just took off and you're like, Oh boy, that's he, I think he was their highest rated recruit this year as a true freshman, but um, it, it looks like it's going to be a committee approach. There's definitely not one workhorse guy. Um, each of them had one big play. Charbonnet had that 75 yard touchdown run. Uh, that that just it was opening of the Red Sea. There was nobody in the middle. He just kind of ran straight and went to the house. Haskins had a long run as well. Uh, but their running backs went 20 carries for 195 yards for 9.75 per carry against Minnesota. Um, that's a Minnesota team that did lose a lot on defense. But, you know, when we look at Michigan State's running backs going for two yards a carry and there's going for damn near 10, uh, there's a big difference there. Pass catchers, similar to the running backs, there's a bunch of guys. There's not really one stud. You have Ronnie Bell, Roman Wilson, A.J. Henning, another freshman who looked pretty explosive out there. Um, they they all had one or two catches. It, it wasn't really a, a, you know, hey, let's let's force feed this guy. Eric All, their tight end, had a couple catches. Um, and, and in the kicking game, this is one thing I'll talk about in our matchups. One thing to feel pretty good about, their kicker was 0 for 3. Jake Moody, their kicker, did not look good. So if we can hold them in the red zone, their kicker sucks. Maybe, maybe that can give us a little bit of a shot. But to touch on their defense real quick, it's a Don Brown defense. They're going to blitz. They're going to bring pressure. Their defensive line, Aiden Hutchinson and Quiddy Pay, like you mentioned, were, were both really disruptive. Carlo Kemp in the middle as well. Uh, McGrone and Josh Ross at the linebacker level. Those guys can blitz. Those guys can make plays. Uh, Daxton Hill leads a young secondary that, you know, definitely can be exploited. They're very inexperienced, uh, but they had five sacks an interception, eight tackles for loss and a touchdown on the defensive side last, uh, last week against Minnesota. So it, it was a good performance. Like you said, I mean, Minnesota, they were losing a couple guys on the offensive line. You know, they lost a lot on defense, uh, from the off season. So it's it was a great performance. It definitely made us nervous. Uh, I'll say that. But uh, that that's kind of the the recap of Michigan. If if you haven't been paying attention to them, but let let's focus on this matchup because we I want to start with the pessimistic side and then we'll we'll move to an optimistic side. So the first note I have is that Don Brown and that defense against our offensive line and inexperienced quarterback that 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 terrifies me look Rutgers came off the blind side and and made Rocky pay a couple times because people weren't picking up blitzes what's Don Brown and this Michigan defense going to do if Rutgers can do it so that's the first thing I circled here um the passing game improvement from the Michigan side there's one thing that kind of scares me is look again there's no one guy you can't focus in on one guy. You can't double cover one guy because there there's a bunch of playmakers. And it seems like they found a couple of these true freshmen that can make plays. 
Um, so when Joe Milton is, is just taking what's available to him, he's got plenty of receivers that are there and he's definitely not just keying on one special guy and, and the speed at the skill position, uh, in addition to a dual threat quarterback, there there's speed all over the field. And if you let these guys get free in the open field, they can definitely make some plays. So I, I guess those are kind of the cliff notes of my pessimistic things that really stuck out. Um, Scott, when we're looking at some, some pessimism here and some reasons to worry about this matchup, what sticks out to you? Yeah, I think you, you nailed a lot of them. I, I have a few matchups circled to watch the first on the list is you, like you said, you have defensive line against our offensive line. Not sure it's as much of a matchup as it is going to be damage control. Um, you know, what it comes down to is when MSU is trying to throw the ball, they need to get the ball out fast. We have the athleticism on the outside with Naylor and Reed to pressure their secondary to make plays in space, but we have to get the ball out there. And we did some of that against Rutgers and it worked well at times. Um, and when we had to sit back in the pocket, it was disastrous. And, you know, hopefully our running backs can pick up a few more blocks. Hopefully Rocky can just, you know, hold on to the ball a little better when he gets hit because uh, he will get hit. Um, but that's, that's going to be, it's, if we have a chance in this game, we're not, we're not going to win it through their defensive line. We're not going to make their defensive line pay. We are going to have to avoid their defensive line, get the ball out to the outside of the field quickly, stretch their defense, force them to make plays with speed and pressure them with athleticism with the guys that we do have. Um, beyond that, I think one that I'm really interested about, which could be optimistic or pessimistic is uh, Michigan's running game against our front I guess I have to call it a front six now. It's so natural to say front seven, but um, <laughs> against our front six, I know the, the final score and, and the feel of the game didn't necessarily feel like it, but our defense actually played pretty well last game. They didn't give up a ton of yards. They got off the field when they, when they were given a full field to protect, they got off the field. There was, I think they had the first, the opening drive Rutgers went down and scored on a scripted drive. And they had one more drive that they scored on that was at least 50 yards, um, you know, total drive length. So obviously that comes down to turnovers. We, we have to be better at starting field position in this game. But U of M's running game against our front seven, six, um, we have to shut it down. You know, you mentioned it. They had over 250 rushing yards on 31 attempts. Joe Milton can run the ball. They have a committee of four very capable backs. Um, and, and we have to disrupt that. So, you know, does that mean playing Xavier Henderson in the box the whole game? Maybe. Um, it, it's going to be a challenge. And, and if we have a chance in this game, we absolutely need to, we need to create some one dimensionality in their offense. I think our best chance is to slow down their running game because they're passing game wasn't quite as effective as the running game granted the uh you know the game script kind of led to michigan running the ball quite a bit in the second half um but yeah i mean it's uh there's not a lot of matchups on either side of the ball that really you can clearly point to and say hey we've you know we've got the upper hand here i mean kicking i'll take it <laughs> um, take what we can get baby special teams potentially our secondary against their wide receivers. They've got some real good tight ends. Even Ben Mason was making plays in the passing game. So uh, maybe not so much our interior defense, but our corners on their wide receivers, I think will hold their own. Hopefully we can make a couple plays, maybe get a pick or two. Um, 
but yeah, we got to slow down the running game. We got to win the line of scrimmage. Um, and, you know, we, we, we talked a little bit about Michigan's new offensive line. Um, Minnesota didn't make them look particularly bad, but I also didn't think that they looked particularly dominant. Um, you know, obviously you had those few breakout runs, but, uh, but the offensive line, I mean, I don't think Minnesota was the team to really test that. So we'll see if our talent, you know, on the front six can, can pressure them and can make Joe Milton uncomfortable. I think Antoine Simmons is probably going to be spying quite a bit on, uh, on Joe Milton. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I was really impressed by how Joe Milton kind of filled the shoes of Shea Patterson in those rollout RPOs, uh, not even necessarily RPOs, but QB runs. I think, you know, a lot of people were, were ticketing him as the, as the pocket passer and he came out and he, he ran that offense as well as Shea Patterson had, especially on the ground. So um, yeah, it's, it's a struggle to find. <laughs> I know we'll get to the optimism. I think the pessimism is just generally, if you look at this matchup, it's pretty scary. So the, the pessimism um, is watch our game last week and watch their game last week. One thing yeah, is not like yeah, the other. The biggest, the biggest disparity, like you said, is between their defensive line and our offensive line. Um, the rest of them are anywhere from a little bit of a disparity to maybe even, and like I said, it's hard to find an area where we really match up uh, well against them. So it's uh, it's a tall task. We're going to have to create chaos. We're going to have to do to them what Rutgers did to us and just you know try to find breaks throughout the game, play the field position battle, and, and figure out how we're going to score points. Yeah, I think other than kicker, I, I would confidently say that that our guy Coughlin is better than uh, Moody. But other than kicker, I I think at best our the best position group that we have would be like a wash, right? That I don't think there's a single yeah. position where you can confidently say we are better than they are at, at this position, right? Quarterback, running backs, offensive line, wide receivers wash again like the i maybe that's the one where we could have a slight advantage but uh defensive line linebackers defensive backs again maybe could be a wash but i i just it's hard to find too many things for optimism but i do have a couple here i i am an optimist at heart i, I found a couple one is their kicker went over three last week and even the extra points you know, as a former kicker, I got an eye for this. It was shaky. There, there was, there was no, even the extra points weren't going right down the pipes. They were like, as soon as it came off the foot, it was going left. And if it was even moved back to like an NFL extra point, it would have missed. And you're looking at it like yeah, that, that just, man, he, he didn't make one look easy. So Again, you, you get a couple stops in the red zone. Uh, you know, maybe we can force a couple missed field goals and and keep some points off the board and just, you know, kind of hang in there. Um, one could be that they were, again, the defensive line of Michigan was great. Their linebackers are great. But Muhammad Ibrahim, they're the Minnesota running back. He had 140 yards on over five yards of carry. Um, and that was with multiple offensive linemen out for Minnesota. So while it seems crazy because our running game was so bad last week and, and we think about this Michigan front seven and they're so dominant, um, maybe they are a little bit susceptible to the run game and, and maybe we can 
get a couple plays there. Um, again, you know, Minnesota had a bit of success. I think maybe part of that was that Minnesota was down for most of that game. So I think Michigan wasn't necessarily expecting them to just keep running the ball, but um, that could be something there. And uh, these yeah, wide and, receivers, and look, the, yeah, go ahead. On the running game, you know, the stats are a little bit skewed because Tanner Morgan got sacked six times for almost negative 40 yards. So, yep. um, you know, you take that out, you're looking at 35 rushes for a hundred and almost 170 yards. So, I mean, there's potential there. That's almost five yards of carry. Uh, if my math is correct, I'm not getting paid to do math, so don't quote me, but uh, <laughs> I think it's about five yards of carry on their running game. So, and like you said, they had two offensive linemen that were down. So the, the pass blocking was certainly bad on Minnesota's part, but they got some penetration in the run game. So if we can uh, find a hot hand and, and develop some of that, you know, Chris Kapilovich uh, run game, that's been uh, so highly touted. <laughs> then uh, maybe we'll, we'll control the ball, keep the ball out of their hands. We obviously have to hold the ball. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's, it's a potential spot to try to, to negotiate uh, a little bit of an advantage. So uh, fingers crossed we can exploit that. Yeah. And the last thing I wrote down is, is that as good as Don Brown has been as a defensive coordinator and as, as much success as he's had, you know, with his disruptive blitzing blitz, heavy defenses, is that they've been susceptible in the past to one-on-one matchups, crossing routes, and good wide receivers making plays. Again, when you're blitzing five or six, you're leaving corners out on an island. And we have a playmaker like Jaden Reed who's shown the capability to be an an all-Big Ten-type playmaker if he can keep the ball in his hands. But um, if, if we can get some of these one-on-one matchups with our receivers, I think they've at least shown the capability of, of being playmakers. It's just a matter of hanging on to the ball. But I think with this blitzing blitz, heavy Don Brown defense, if we can get the ball out quick, Jaden Reed showed in that Rutgers game, all you need to do is get him on a one-on-one matchup, get the ball out to him. He can slip a tapple, tackle and go the distance. And I don't think that's just against Rutgers. I think that's against damn near everybody. So if we can get a couple of those big plays, um, you know, maybe we can just hang around and, and keep ourselves in this one. But I think that's one where the coaches, uh, offensive coaching staff has to have that circled of let's get the ball out quick. Again, their defensive line is disruptive. Their linebackers are, are great at blitzing. Let's get the ball out to our playmakers and hope that they can, they can carry us in this game. You're going to have to rely on Jordan, on Jaden Reed, on Jalen Naylor on the outside, slipping tackles, breaking tackles, making plays after the catch. And that's going to be one of the ways that you can potentially hang around in this one. Um, is there anything I missed here? Is there any other reasons for optimisms for Spartan nation? It really just comes down to the, you know, the turnovers and if we can clean those up or not, if we can clean them up and, We'll see if this defense is uh, is legit. Like I said, we really didn't give up much last game uh, when we were given a full field to work with. So um, if we can avoid giving them great field position and putting our backs up against the wall, we're going to see what this defense is made of. I'm not saying we have the defense for it. I'm just saying we don't know if we do or not, and we might. Um, and, and we'll see if given the chance, if uh, if we do have the defense to hold up and uh, and keep Michigan's point total down I think we'll need a little bit of chaos to to score you know enough points to stick with them ourselves but uh but yeah we'll see gotta gotta protect the ball 
Yeah, no, it's it's uh, look, it's a rivalry game. We know we're going to pull out all the stops on offense. There's going to be some, you know, crazy play calling. We're going to see some kind of, you know, flea flickers, reverse passes. I, I I see them pulling out everything and trying to pull a rabbit out of your ass and and hope for the best. And um, look, <laughs> maybe there's not a whole lot of reason for optimism, but again, it is a rivalry game. Uh, again, you see those two uh, or the three games that they've been favored by over, you know, over 24 points we've covered in all of them. So, uh, there is some history there that would suggest it's a rivalry game and, and we can just kind of keep this thing close for at least a couple quarters and, and you never know what can happen. We've seen in 2015, crazy shit happens in this game. It happens all the time. And again, I'll go back to it before I make my prediction Saturday. At noon, it's it's a full moon. I know it's not going to be out yet. Uh, it's starting to get dark a little bit earlier. Um, it, the moon won't be out yet. But however, it is still Halloween. It is still going to be a full moon on that given night. Um, so so some crazy stuff's going to happen. Uh, before I get to my prediction, though, I just wanted to mention that. Now, uh, the, the line on this game, as we are recording here on Wednesday afternoon, is 24 and a half. Michigan is favored. By 24 and a half points. The over under is set at 53 and a half points. Uh, Scott, I, I want to let you go first on this one here. Give me your prediction. Let me know why and, and uh, tell the good people what we think here. Yeah. So, first of all, I think we are going to take care of the ball better. Um, maybe we see another pick or two from Rocky because he's still getting his bearings, but I think the fumbles are going to be better this game if for no other reason than that, it's going to be top of mind. I mean, we saw the post on MSU social media, you know, that the post of the ball security drills and everything. So they're going to be drilling it. And I I don't even think it needs to be drilled. I think every player, you know, every ball carrier on Michigan State's team understands the importance of clearing that up. So I think we are going to protect the ball a little bit better, which will save us uh, a lot of the a lot of the struggle that we saw last week, but I think it's just going to be a bit too much to overcome Michigan's uh, talent disparity here. You know, like we were talking about, it's really hard to find positive matchups, so it's just going to take a lot of chaos for us to pull something off in this game. So, I think we keep it closer. I think we cover this spread. My prediction is going to be Michigan at 31, Michigan State at 17. So I'm comfortable with that. I think you know we keep it. Within one to two scores, most of the game, obviously that's a two score final. So uh, yeah, I'm not saying necessarily we're going to be going neck and neck the, the entire game, but I think we'll keep it at least within reasonable striking distance uh, throughout just uh, not being able to make quite enough plays by the end of the game to, uh, to pull out the, <laughs> the miracle upset. Yeah. And I, look, I think I, I brought this up on Monday, even um, I, I asked the question on Twitter. I said, you know, hey, we're favored, and, and here's the implied point total. Um, if I could give you, I think the the total was like 39 to 14 um, would be the implied Vegas point total with the over-under and with the point spread. I said, if you, if you have the option and you could take a 39 to 14 lost or whatever's behind door number two, what would you take? And most people said, I'll take whatever's behind door number two. I'll, I'll take the risk that maybe, maybe they blow us out by more, but you know, I, it's a rivalry game and anything can happen. But 
I do think if you gave the people the option for a 14 point loss, hey, we're going to keep this as a two score game. Um, or again, what whatever's behind door number two, I think most people would take that two touchdown loss. So I think um, I, I think most people would come out of that game and say, hey, you know what? We we hung in there. I think we'd be pretty happy with that. Um, I, I have a, I, I don't know what it is. I, I just have a weird feeling that this game's going to be a little bit high scoring and, and I don't know why I, I think maybe there's going to be some defensive uh, touchdowns or, or turnovers that get the other team into the red zone, whether that's, you know, uh, on Michigan or Michigan state side, I know rivalry games like this, we tend to go, you know, pretty low scoring. It tends to be a little bit more physical, I just have a feeling that both of these teams are are capable of scoring points because of their playmakers and are also capable of giving up points because of inexperienced defenses. You tack that onto a Michigan State team that's very turnover prone and can give the ball up in bad spots and a Michigan team that, look, he played really well last week but still has a very inexperienced quarterback. I'm going a little bit more high scoring here. I'm going University of Michigan 39 the Michigan State Spartans, 21. I think that we lose this game. Uh, you know, this is an 18-point game. I think we lose by a couple scores. I, I think that, you know, hey, maybe in the first half, this is a one-score game going into halftime, but then, you know, the the talent wins out in the end. I, I just have a feeling that it, it's going to be a little bit more high-scoring again, and maybe that's because of some great defensive plays that lead to scores. Uh, but I, I just have a weird feeling about that. Again, hopefully we can limit those turnovers. That's going to be the ultimate key to the whole season here, I, I guess. But uh, I think MSU covers that 24 and a half points, uh, loses by 18, and, and that we will be over the 53 and a half. Last week, I was 0 for 3 on my picks. I, I had MSU, I had MSU and the points, and I had the under on the total. So we're looking to get that back this week. Scott, we, you had MSU covering. Did you have over or under? Uh, let's see. That'd be 48. So just so you under. got the under. Okay. And again, usually yeah. the rivalry games there, they tend to be a little bit more physical and low scoring. So um, yeah, I, I mean, like we said, it's going to come down to the fact of, you know, can this offensive line protect Rocky Lombardi uh, with this Don Brown defense? Can we hang on to the ball and stop turning the ball over and putting our defense in bad spots? And and can we find a little bit of magic with our playmakers in space and make a couple plays? I I think we would all be shocked if Michigan state won this game, but I I don't think I would be shocked, you know, given the nature of this rivalry, if we kept it within a score or two, again, Mel Tucker really seems to be embracing this rivalry, which I love to see. Uh, it means so much to us in East Lansing. So I, I'm glad that he understands that and he's taking on that uh, mentality from from year one. So any other thoughts before we get out of here? We both have a Michigan State loss, but we both have them covering. Um, hopefully we can keep this thing close. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to watch it. I think Michigan's licking their chops. They think Thanksgiving dinner's coming a few weeks early here. Um, if Michigan State can come out and punch them in the nose in the first quarter, maybe they catch them on their heels and make a game out of it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, probably won't be particularly inspiring by the end, but uh, looking forward to it as always. It's always fun to play Michigan and uh, go green. 
No doubt. And like you said, it's, it, it's always a nerve wracking game. It's always one where, you know, everybody has the guy in their friend group that's constantly talking shit. So the, the group chats are going to be fun this week and, you know, it's, it's always going to be a fun rivalry, but um, like you said, you know, hopefully we can hang around in this one and just make it a game in the second half and anything can happen. But uh, for everybody out there, enjoy the game as much as we might not like the result, enjoy the week, enjoy college football. It's back. And we have uh, a lot of people to thank for that. Uh, You know, we see what's going on at Wisconsin. It can all be taken away from us very quickly. So enjoy it while we have it. Hopefully we can hang around in this one. Go green. Have a great weekend.